You are listening to Any Given Sunday, a part of the Dead End Podcast Network. Please subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, and all other podcasting services. Please make sure you check out Dead End Hip Hop, Dead End Sports, Dead End Gaming, Is the Mic Still On, Chris Platt's Strictly Hip Hop and Hoops Talk, and a host of other shows on our podcast network. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. This is Any Given Sunday for Sunday, August 18th, 2019. I am your host, Manny Brown. What's up, everybody? Hopefully you guys had a happy, safe, blessed week. Uh, My guest this week is a guy that I've been wanting to have on the show for a while. I've been a fan of his work for a long, long time. Um, He's one of the best uh, analysts in the business covering professional wrestling. Uh, He is the host of The Deep Dive with Rich Fan, of course, of the great PW Torch. like I said, a guy that I've been wanting to have on the show for a while, and I finally got to, got to get him on the show. We had a little bit of a scheduling conflict last week, but uh, I'm glad to have him on the show this week. And uh, um, Rich, welcome to Any Given Sunday, man. How are you? Thanks for having me, Manny. And I, it shouldn't be an apology on your end. I fell asleep because we just got home from business, and then I blinked, and I told my wife, make sure and get up. And she was like, all right, I did. And then we went back to sleep, and then I was like, oh, jeez. <laughs> So, yeah, so no, it was entirely on me just not keeping myself straight for an hour or two to be ready for the excitement that is uh, in the business of Sunday. Cool, cool. Hey, man, no need to apologize. Uh, life gets in the way sometimes, life including sleep. So uh, yeah. no need to apologize. I get it. I love my sleep just like anybody else. So uh, <laughs> no need to apologize there, man. Um but yeah, like I said, I've been I've been wanting to get you on the show for a while. I've been following your work for for a long, long time. Um, I've been a Torch uh, Torch member, uh, Torch VIP member for years. So you know, Rich fans definitely been one of those guests that I've been definitely trying to get on the show. So uh, this is a uh, this is a good time right now. This is a good 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 space here. Uh, we wanted I wanted to preview SummerSlam, but I guess this is a, this is just as good to kind of recap SummerSlam and talk about some other wrestling news and notes. So uh, what do you say we just get into it? Right. Sounds good. Uh, but so before I start, um, I always like to give my guest a little bit of time to kind of introduce themselves to the audience who may not be familiar with them. We have a lot of re- non-wrestling fans out there that may not know who Rich Fan is. Uh, and we even have maybe some wrestling fans that aren't familiar with your work. So uh, just take a few minutes to kind of introduce yourself to the AGS Nation out there and just tell them who uh, Rich Fan is. Sure. Yeah. So I started just like you told you that the subscriber um, I had at the time recently had my son. So I was having a lot of free time that I was helping my wife put him down to bed and do little things around the house. So I started listening to more of the Torch uh, live cast and more of like, the East Coast cast with Travis Bryant and at the time, Barjay Cornell. And so I would, you know, that one listening went from, oh, hey, Wednesdays are open, so let me call in and listen to that. And then let me call in and kind of give my two cents. And then. One thing led to another, and one day Travis needed someone to be an emergency co-host because Bonjay had to work, and uh, I did that with him for a little bit with VIP, and that then eventually, once Bonjay's schedule didn't allow him to work on Wednesday, or didn't allow him to do the show on Wednesday, uh, allowed me to transition in as the VIP co-host, and then Travis, is, as work would have it, you know, he would, he would have uh, job opportunities where he couldn't do his Friday show with Bruce Mitchell, and you know, I, I've been coaching the last couple of years, so that led to me in the off season being his, like, uh, if you remember the old Tonight Show, I'd be like the replacement co-host for that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that eventually led to Wade just bringing me on and hiring me to be audio contributor and doing my own show. So now I do the East Coast Cast VIP, 
Um, every Wednesday we do that, and we kind of talk about life, wrestling, and everything in between. And then I also do my own show. Uh, after this, and I did ours, and uh, that kind of transition. Bruce no longer does a lot of the live cast stuff, so I, you know, they was impressed with my work with Bruce and wanted to see if I could do a show. And so for the last two years, I've done the deep dive, that is an hour long on Saturdays typically. Um, sometimes I'll have to record them if life gets in the way. And I spend an hour just talking about stuff I'm interested in with people I'm interested in talking to. So, uh, you know, it'll be as silly as talking about bad movies with some of my buddies or as serious as talking about, like, the import of a person like the big cat or any lad as a black man in wrestling. And then not only a black man in wrestling, but a civil rights icon in terms of leading the AFL strike during the Pro Bowl when they went to New Orleans and were discriminated against so, like, going into those subjects that people were really cognizant and really, like, on their stuff has been really fun for me. And making that transition from VIP member to host and co-host has been something I never intended, but has been a really fun thing along the way the last two and a half three years. Awesome. Awesome story, man. Uh, um you starting out like a fan, like just like most of us out there, and then to make it to where you're a contributor on on probably one of the biggest wrestling uh, sites, news sites. I would argue the biggest news right news site um, in the world right now. So uh, that that's that's pretty cool. That's pretty special, man. Um, uh, shout out to all of the co-hosts on PW Torch. Uh, I follow all of them. They're all great guys, um, and they're all just just they just do great work, man. Honestly, uh, special shout out to the East Coast Cast co-hosts, uh, Travis Bryant and Cameron Hawkins. Cam's been on the show before, so shout out to him. Shout out to Travis Bryant. Shout out to everybody on PW Torch, by the way. Um, so tell me about your. Um, your fandom when it comes to professional wrestling like how did you what made you fall in love with professional wrestling what was that one moment that you could kind of point to that was like okay this is this is where i fell in love with professional wrestling or is that or is there that moment i think for me it was just part of it was growing up in brooklyn and because of that we had a lot of access to the uh syndication because i didn't have cable i actually didn't have cable point in fact until i got the freshman year at college so right in 99 at the start of some of the craziness, then WWE and WCW, I finally had cable. But until then, I only relied on uh, syndicated shows. So I'd watch a lot of superstars wrestling before church. And then Saturday night, I would watch the uh, WCW Worldwide. And so the thing that sucked me in, uh, and I'm, I'm trying to think back what was the biggest, because I would see wrestling in the early to mid-80s. Like I was like five, six, seven. But my dad wasn't a big wrestling fan. He was aware of it, but it was not something that, like, was his thing. Um, what yeah. put me in was really when we started watching the angles, like the Shawn Michaels barbershop window, or, you know, as silly as it seems, the Papa Shango, like, getting the ultimate warrior to throw up. Things like that kind of, like, sucked me in, and I was like, holy cow, this is some wild stuff. And then as I got older, the angles were still important, but then I really got into wrestling. Like, I loved when I first saw Bret Hart and what he could do. That was like, okay, this is awesome. I saw Shawn Michaels, same thing. But then when I went to WCW and the Cruiserweight started up and I got to see Dean Malenko, like as much as people like Eddie and Ray and I do too, but Dean Malenko was like my dude. And then because of the syndication, Another person that was my dude that then now has shaped a lot of my wrestling to this day was William Regal. He was just 
like him and uh, Stephen Taylor, like Lord, Lord Taylor, like that entire like legal like stable, like his little uh, yeah. squad there. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. That was one that was silly because they had like the wigs and stuff, but two, the legal stretch was like one of my favorite submissions as a kid. And then you fast forward and you added Conan and the Mexicans, like I said. When I got to see Conan and the first time I saw him do the Tequila Sunrise or saw him as like a Latino dude, like wrestling that wasn't like Tito Santana and wasn't like placating. Like he wasn't, like for me as a black guy, like I'd seen very few black guys, let alone seeing a Spanish dude who was just like, he was cool. Conan was cool. He was never like, like, you know, like a buster in any way. Like even when he made the LWO down the road, like, everyone in the LWO I enjoyed like the parka. So that all kind of like coalesced into me being a fan. And then the older I got, you know, I got to college, I went to Pitt and then I uh, bought a horseman poster, put it up on my dorm door. And that led me to meeting you guys who would be my friends for the rest of this, um, rest of my life, you know? And so that's been like my story and kind of what pulled me into wrestling. Interesting. Interesting. What's your, what is, What's your philosophy on pro on what makes pro wrestling work? Um, you talked about being as a kid, being into the angles and the stories, and then actually, as we, as when you got older, you you could appreciate the art form of professional wrestling, the the storytelling it within a match, uh, the athleticism. What's your your philosophy of what makes pro wrestling work? Like wh- when wrestling when wrestling is firing on all cylinders, what is that? What is that formula? Is it is it great characters and great wrestling is it a combination of of everything is it more storyline driven and less re- like what is that what is that per like if you had to like if you had to give the recipe for what makes a perfect pro wrestling promotion company era what what is that for rich fan i think for me it's having the ability to watch it and feel like just like any other form of television you're in growth like, that's mm-hmm. what pulled me in. Like, when I saw the barbershop window, like, the older I get, I can be critical and see some of the things. Like, you know, for instance, I can give an example. Like, the Shane McMahon window stuff with uh, AJ Styles. Sorry. Oh, no, no, no. With, with the AJ Styles stuff. I'm sorry. Not, not, I said, I'm trying to remember <laughs> the, the, the AJ craziness with the car where they showed, like, the internal angle of the car. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Like, the first thing I said was like, well, when I remember the barbershop, I don't remember a reverse angle taking me out of the moment. And then lo and right. behold, I go look on the network and it was a reverse angle. It's just that my brain didn't process it because I was just like, oh my gosh, Shawn Michaels just turned on Marty's Netty. And I think as I get older, the, the WWE proper, there may be some of those opportunities that become fewer and fewer to kind of get sucked in completely, but they're still there. Like, they pulled me in back into wrestling because I did take some time away with the CM Punk pipe bomb. And it wasn't because I felt like he was shooting, but it because I felt like the guy was real. And mm-hmm. so for me, that's been the hallmark. Like when I watched New Japan, when I watched ECW, I gravitated to people who I felt like, like Rob Van Dam, when him and Sabu were a tag team, I felt like not only were they awesome wrestlers, but they hated each other's stuff. So when little things would happen, like Rob would take credit for a tag win, and he's like doing the Rob Van Dam thumb pose, while Sabu's looking to, like, jump off the top rope onto him and throw off onto Jeff catching him. We're getting the best of both worlds. Because me as the viewer, I can see Sabu hates his partner's gut. 
So every time Sambu, I mean, Mother and then brags about like, hey, don't worry, Sambu, I got this because I'm the guy that carries this tune. And you can see Sambu wants to stab him and Bill's like calming him down. Like that to me is awesome. And that's as awesome as a good comedy skit. Or, you know, for me, I don't want to be locked in and I never want to be like that wrestling fan, just like with film. Like I, I follow like Deep Palm and Chris and the guys in the movie trailer reviews and they talk about the idea that like a lot of folks make their opinions fat. And for me, I think wrestling works when it works for whomever's watching. Like, for me, if it's an engrossing product, I don't care what it is. Like, I've had friends. I went to the New Japan uh, G1 special. There were parts of that I didn't like, and it was because I went in thinking it was going to be one thing, and it was something else entirely. And then that same person's like, well, but you like MLW, or you like some dumb thing. Like, you like Toriano, and, and you guys, I'm like, that's because I know what I'm getting. I know I'm in it. And I know that it's going to be something that I'm, uh, what's the right word? Like, I'm getting what I pay for, so to speak. And right. so when you have things like that, it makes it really easy to watch wrestling. Like, crazy easy. Awesome. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's, it's amazing that you bring that up, the, the, the kind of the, the diversity between wrestling fans. You know, it's like because people like to think that wrestling fans or the hardcore wrestling fan, like we're all kind of a monolith. Like we're all just yeah. we all like one thing. We all crave one thing. No, a lot of us have different views and opinions on wrestling. Some of us, you know, I, I have some. I mean, I differ between some of me and my between me and my friends. Like some of my friends, yeah. they, they just love they just love the sport of it. They love the wrestling. They love the athleticism, the you know matches, storytelling. I'm more of a of storyline and characters. Like that's what drives me. Like yes, we can get great. I mean, look at WWE now. You know, I, I would say that WWE now is probably has the best wrestling that they've had in their entire history, uh, arguably. But you know, what's the biggest issue? And as far as and I'm, I'm only speaking for me, what's the biggest issue that WWE has going on right now is it's its lack of storyline or or lack of strong storytelling. When it comes to their storylines and their characters and and nuanced, well fleshed out characters, I think that's some of the biggest issues going on in WWE right now. So the wrestling is great, but for me, I, I'm pulled out of it because of the lack of creativity in the storytelling, the lack of just nuance in the characters. So I, you're right about when you bring that up that you know not all wrestling fans wear the same size shoes. Like every all of us have different views and different opinions and different likes and dislikes when it comes to wrestling. Yeah, and I think for me, when I look at it and I talk to people and I do my shows, the big thing for me, I look at it like a comic book. I'm a big mm -hmm. fan of any time you have a story where you're paid, you're awarded for paying attention. And that's, that's what I think makes a great wrestling story. Same thing. If you notice, like the Dave Bautista transition from Member of Evolution Absolutely. to his own hand, you could see that for a year coming. And they rewarded you. Now I see a lot of times, and you know I don't I don't want to use this as an opportunity to like bag on WWE because I think there are some good things going on, but a lot of times the stuff that they did there wouldn't have been wouldn't be done now because people wouldn't remember. Oh, Batista rolled his eyes last week, they, you know. And so the more you pay attention to that stuff, the more you force people in turn to pay attention, and the more you reward them for paying attention. 
And I think you, that's in any form of like. Do you, do you really think they wouldn't pay attention? Not to cut you off. I'm sorry, but like, no. do, do do you really think they wouldn't pay attention? Or is it, or I think that's a cop out that WWE has used for a long time, especially Vince. When I say WWE, I say Vince, obviously. Um, that oh, fans have a short memory, and and I I completely disagree with that. Like even now, like I still feel like fans are upset because. They get treated like they're idiots. They get treated like they're retarded, like they can't remember, you know, small details that happen even just week to week. And I, I feel like that's caused some of this issue with WWE. It's just the 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 the, the insulting of the fans and the fan base. Like I can remember what happened last week. Like I can remember these key points and these key plot lines that happened, or even just subtle things. Like I, I think more fa- more fans remember those little things even now. But I just think that they've been so browbeaten by just their intelligence being tested that I think it, 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 it I think it can, I can, I think it can be perceived like fans don't care about those small minor details, but I think a lot of them do. Oh no, no, excuse, yeah, I, 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 I didn't want to be missed. Excuse me, one second, I got a call. Pardon. Um, I think from what I'm talking about is from the perspective of them as bookers. Like for me, mm, okay. I, I think you're right. Because when you look, I, I just talked to one of my friends I mentioned when I put that lesson poster up, my buddy Chris Maitland, one of my best friends in life. He sent me like over the course of this week, like 15 texts about every little thing he picked up in the New Japan tag match where Kenta became a heel. And how like the more you look at it, the more you can tell from the very second the bell rang, this is something they were trying to tempt you with. Like, hey, something's not right here. And I think the WWE, you can have it. You absolutely can have it. But it's when you have a seven-year-old boss that comes in and says, rewrite this, and you're rewriting for one day. When you rewrite for one day, you can't possibly, in the stress of getting that done, remember what happened the week before. So us as fans, we'll remember this, you know, AJ Styles had this conversation with someone, but then next week they're best friends, and Mm -hmm. no one connects those dots that there's that that don't exist or no one creates a narrative if it's not in a place that people care about and by people i mean the writers or by people i really should say Vincent Kennedy McMahon and so when you look at you look at say um Samoa Joe you know i heard Dave Meltzer talk about the fact that on Monday the reason they had him talk about how i can't believe people would have I would hit Roman Reigns with a car and then like say, I, I still don't forgive you all, but I forgive Roman is because they were like, well, we know he would be more popular than Sami Zayn, but Sami Zayn's in Canada. So we don't want to risk that the Canadians would like. Right. Him. So if they do like, it's like, okay, you're thinking too hard about the wrong thing. How about you focus Absolutely. on the fact that maybe they do like him and you let that happen. It's Canada. There's so many times I've been to the Raw after WrestleMania where they're so quick to mention through the announcers that it's Bizarro World. Why wouldn't you do that here? Some of the best matches I remember, one of my favorite shows to this day is In Your House Canadian Stampede, where it's a road game for Steve Austin, who was at that point the biggest face in their company, but he was treated like he was the biggest heel. Like that shouldn't be something you run away from just if that happens today if that happens today if that happens today they 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 instantly killed steve austin's push or they'll say see the fans rejected him and uh see we gotta we gotta pull the plug we gotta pull the plug like i i I totally i remember that show too it was just and it was actually a great pay-per-view like i that's still one of my favorite in your house events and uh yeah i'm glad you brought that up and then even think about the fact with steve austin even cites the fact he the millions of dollars he gave up by going heel when he did and going corporate 
when he could have stayed face for years. And so, and that was the start of it. That was like 50 something year old Vince. And now you get the 70 year old Vince and he's just like, if he doesn't like it, he kind of poo-poos it. And I don't think he understands like today's wrestling fan and the audience because he doesn't care about the things we care about. I mention a weight all the time when we're talking at the torch, there's this resentment of wrestling fans that permeates the WWE, even though the very best things they've done were in service to those very fans. And it's very, it's interesting. It's very it's, interesting. And it's also it, very like. It's so weird, like, right? Like it's, a, no, I was just saying, yeah. I'm just, it's, it's so weird and frustrating. Cause it's like, it's like a movie director hating movie fans. Like, yeah. like it's, it's so weird to me. And it's just like, it makes me want to like, like walk into Connecticut to walk to Connecticut and just like strangle Vince McMahon. Like, what are you doing? Like, why is this like, this just this loathing of wrestling fans. Like, I feel like they write their shows and they begrudgingly write their shows. Like, I feel like they're oh, cursing yeah. every single word, every single promo, every single scenario, every single storyline that they write. I feel like they're just cursing out wrestling fans. Like, uh, like, like they're just rolling their eyes writing the show. And it's just like, it's so weird to me. That's like an action movie director hating action fan, you know, action movie fans. Or, yeah. You know, a, 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 a mystery, a mystery, a crime mystery writer, you know hating john grissom hating his fan base like it's just so it's so so backwards to me yeah i mean i I heard um uh, brian alvarez mention on wrestling observer live one of the things and that's where that comes back to me i i I, you know i work for the torch i you know i'm still a vip member and i also subscribe to the observer i listen to pro wrestling boom with uh uh the jason powell Powell and his fine staff and then some of his staff follows me i follow them and they're hilarious um you know mike johnson pro wrestling inside uh, pro wrestling.net and not pro pro wrestling insider there we go and so like i don't feel like it's torture bus i don't do the wwe like i always think of the story where they're in the airplane and uh one of the writers i think was uh goldstein was uh, sitting and watching like a Disney movie. He's like, well, why aren't you watching WWE? We have everything you need. Comedy, excitement, action. And it's like, at some point (laughs) you need something else. And so same thing with wrestling. So when I listen to Alvarez and he talks about the fact that like, if you think about it, when you think about NXT and you think about the training center, if Vince McMahon only wants one style of wrestling, it's wild that he's allowed Triple H to hire some of the greatest wrestlers like just wrestling wrestling uh-huh. wrestlers as trainers and then they're training the people that he's gonna poo poo to wrestle a style he doesn't like like that's even that's another that's another level to what you're talking about right now man because i think about like a guy like a quentin tarantino and eh, not tarantino let me, let me let me use somebody who's less problematic like you have a a kugler and he hates r- doing movies and then he opens up a school for filmmakers where he right. hires some of it's like it, it blow, it's like what are you doing like it's, mind, it's mind-boggling yeah it's mind-boggling it's just it's like what, it what, is and then yeah. you hire people who are like artisans like I, I i very much see wrestling as another form of like they say sports entertainment is a way not to say pro wrestling pro wrestling to me is sports entertainment when you treat it like a sport exactly. and that's one of the reasons i love new japan like it has the same the same two guys. Like when you think about, uh, you know, when I cried when the Golden Lovers got back together, the same two guys are two of the best wrestlers in the world can show someone who might identify in the queer spectrum as it's okay to be you and it's okay to be you and enjoy wrestling. 
WWE, every single time they get a chance to show nuance, they fail because the person who runs the company is not okay with himself. So he can't be okay with everything else. And that's very clear. Like when I watch the Street Profits in NXT be awesome wrestlers that are also entertaining. And then when I see them on Raw and they're basically the crows from Dumbo, I know it's yeah. the person whose lens sees black wrestlers a certain way. Or mm-hmm. when I see Kofi Kingston. It takes him 11 years to get one title match, but no offense to him, Dolph Ziggler, for all of his complaints of I never got the ball, has gotten the ball infinite more times than Kobe Kingston when you look at it. Yeah, no, uh, you're preaching to the choir, man. <laughs> I mean, there's, uh, I can't even interject there any, anywhere because it's, I mean, you're, you're just, you're, you're preaching to the choir, bro, uh, honestly. Um, let's talk about Vince because yeah. Vince is such a fascinating, I mean, I know that we've already kind of touched on him already, but like, look, he's such a fascinating person to me in, in a positive and a negative. Like, how can a person who's had so much success doing something and like, this is a guy that at the peak of the wrestling, the wrestling boom, you know, the attitude era. You know, these guys were challenging Monday night football. Like, think about, like, think for you, for, for you folks listening at home, you kids, you young kids that may not have lived through the rest, through, through the attitude era, right? Like, there was a time, it was brief, but there was a time on Monday nights where WWE was actually a threat to Monday night football. I don't think they ever beat Monday night football in the ratings, but that it was actually competitive. Like Monday night football actually had to think about WWE in a serious light. Like WWE was pulling in seven, eight million people watching their shows weekly. And it's like now this is the same guy that's overseeing this product that just seems so lost, doesn't know what it wants to be. It's too many cooks in the kitchen, like, but only one cook that's actually making decisions. And it's so fast. Like, talk to me about Vince. Like, has he really lost his way or has he always been this way, but now he's just getting exposed? I think, I think it's, he hasn't always been this way. I mean, he's a guy that's stuck in his path uh, and he has a very clear view. Like even when he was a younger man, of what he thought pro wrestling should and shouldn't be and why he moved to sports entertainment and kind of the, the self-loathing. Like the one thing to me with Vince McMahon has always been that dichotomy of he wa- never wants to be reminded that he was the kid from the dirt road in North Carolina. Like he never wants the people to, like if you ever did a biopic, you'd never see that part when he was in the trailer park. He'd, he'd right. start somewhere in Connecticut or somewhere in New York City where he's already kind of been established. And so that sort of self-loathing and that sort of like lack of self-reflection is kind of what drives him because he knows he's, he's like a shark. He's kind of like a Drew Rosenhaus in the NFL where he's always moving forward, always trying to find that next thing. And when you're a young man, that's the easy thing to do. But when you're 70 and you're a billionaire, you kind of get bored because there's no more other mountains to climb. And so for him back in the day, like my buddy, Chris, he and I would always argue, is Vince McMahon a genius in that? And I would say yes, because I would say he might not be the most creative person because uh, my buddy's argument has always been Vince McMahon has taken other people's ideas and just brought them to a national stage, like in terms of buying wrestlers and stuff. And I was like, well, that's true, but he also would give you a character. Like Ted DiBiase was an outstanding wrestler in face in Mid-South, but the Million Dollar Man was basically Vince McMahon putting himself in the wrestling ring before he did actually. Yeah, and so 
you you have these moments and he i think he has been super creative even now like some of the stuff he does like when when they talk about oh vince came up with this idea and it was really important and it was really awesome he still has them but it, fundamentally that baseline of what he wants has just been the history of any other wrestling promoter you look at when you've been in that chair for so long it's just like any other venue like you know, you, you have a head coach in football that's only run the wing tee, and then all of a sudden he can't adapt. Or you have a, a, a basketball coach who's running a box and one, and, well, I guess you can get away with that in the NBA. You really need to beat the Golden State Warriors. Um, <laughs> like, so these, like, innovations like, go by the wayside because it's like, well, we've always done it this way. And Vince, I think the biggest issue he has is he never wants a team of rivals. What I mean by that is he always needs people around him that agree with him. And that mm-hmm. leads to dangerous things because if you only have yes men, like you were saying, you have all these writers, you have the, all these cooks in the kitchen and only one cook matters. Everybody's really cooking for that cook. And exactly. Yep. You're writing for an audience of one. That that's essentially mm-hmm. what it is. And, 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 and I, I'm glad that you brought that up about not having, you know, the rivals in the room, not having people that are, that are not yes men, that people that are going to tell him the truth and tell him, you know, what he needs to hear instead of what he wants to hear. And what was the biggest difference? And I bring up the attitude era because that was my era. That was the, for a lot of us, that was our era. Like that was the era that we came of age watching wrestling. Um, what was the one kind of, you know, thing that that differed in a lot of ways like Vince McMahon from other eras that Vince McMahon was booking Vince trusted other people Vince Russo and Ed Ferrara you know I think it's become fashionable and popular to bash Vince Russo and look Vince Russo's done a lot of things (laughs) a lot of things I mean we could do a whole podcast episode on Vince Russo and his career (laughs) and the things that he's done we won't get into that right now but I think it's forgotten that Vince Russo was I don't want to say mastermind but he was behind a lot of what the things that worked in the Attitude Era. And Vince McMahon trusted him. Vince McMahon was like the head coach that was kind of the CEO that oversaw things, but he let Russo and Ferreira coach. He let them put, right. you know, put all the pieces on the table and coach guys. And, and what I loved about Vince Russo and Ed Ferreira was that they used guys to their strength. You know what I'm saying? Like they didn't, they didn't try to make, you know, the blue meanie, you know, bigger than what he was, you know, they didn't try to do something with this character that just didn't fit. They put, they use guys to their fullest advantage. They use guys to their strength. And I think now he, that's the biggest issue right now with WWE is that they don't have a Vince Russo. They don't have an Ed Ferrara guys that Vince McMahon can trust and say, book my shows. I'm overseeing it. I'm making sure that things go a certain way, but for the most part, you guys just write. And I think that's the biggest issue going on with WWE right now. Yeah, and I think some of the, one of the things that I think has been positive is that he's kind of started to do that with Paul Heyman and letting Paul Heyman like basically write Raw and SmackDown and then maybe some flourishes, some edits or some major rewrites as he mm-hmm. kind of has the spirit moves him. And I think that's because Heyman at this point, because of age, he doesn't see him as a threat. Like when Heyman was there back when they had the SmackDown 6, not only is he seeing him as a threat still, but then his daughter's involved in the uh, creative right. and she's like trying to defend her dad's honor or somehow it's like for me. And and I saw this in new Japan. I see this in other places. I don't see it in WWE, but it's like, to me, if I hire you, like when I got hired by the torch, it's not like Wade put me through some like 
like I had to get jumped in or I had to like right. learn my place because like, oh, you, you know, you used to be just a VIP. No, it's like you work here. You're responsible for this. You're, you know, this is what he uses to pay his bills and feed his family. So I'm going to make sure I'm a good steward with the hour I get. And I'm not going to be, you know, talking out of my rear end or doing anything that could wind up getting him sued or me sued. But with Vince, it seems a lot of times with a lot of these shows and a lot of this stuff, even with a guy like Paul Heyman, he still saw him as the ECW promoter and not his employee. And that that's really weird to me. Like, even when yeah. Ferrara and Russo, like, he didn't want to give them credit, even though, like, he was the old, like, I'm, I'm trying to think of uh, the, the water boy, the head coach and the water boy who didn't <laughs> want to give uh, yeah. the coach credit. And then so he just, like, took credit because he stole his playbook and then just left. Like, yeah. that's basically what Vince did with Ferrara and Russo. And then, of course, like, at, at, at over time, they kind of did some crazy stuff, too. But at the end of the day, he never wanted to own the fact that, yeah, you guys did a good job, and I should give you credit instead of giving it to, like, Stephanie or giving it to, you know, myself. And that's really – that's a dangerous habit to be in because if you're never thanking other people, you're never giving other people another chance to shine, like – and, and and in turn show loyalty to you. Like, that's a really big way for me to feel like I got to look for another job if my boss is constantly telling me I came up with a great idea and it was my, he came up with a great idea or right. she came up with a great idea and it was my idea. Right, right. How do you think, why do you think that changed? Like, what was the, because like, a lot of people have the theories of what changed. Like, was it, was it Ferrara and, and Russo leaving in 99? Was it, you know, was it the start of that? Um, was it WW, WCW folding and, and ECW folding in, in 2001? Like, like, when do you feel like this transformation of Vince from a guy that he always had his issues and he always had his quirks? But I, I feel like, you know, even before the Attitude Era, he was a guy that was a little bit more receptive to outside ideas. And then he just makes this total 180 this flip where he's just become this old just stuck in his ways antiquated old man that just will not listen to anything outside of the wwe ecosystem like when do you feel like that switch happened was it i I think it was two things one i think the biggest thing yeah like you said once there wasn't a competition anymore that that kind of made it easier for the victory disease to kind of seep in and it was like we've always done things the right way and two I think he switched to it's him and it's like the company over anyone else when he realized that people could leave for greener pastures. Like think about how rock got treated when he came back and he was in that once in a lifetime series with Cena and how he, they tried to sell him as like a, a, a turn code and a, you know, you, you went to the movies and left it and you thought you were too good for us. And it was very, very like self-conscious and very like pathetic really. And then we saw the same thing with Cena when Cena went to the movies. And then now all of a sudden a guy who's like 40 and looks the same way he did when he was 30 is told he's, you know, they're selling storylines. It's John Cena over the hill. And then now, you know, you look at how guy like Batista talked about how he wanted to come back a couple of years ago and told them he was like, Hey, I'm doing this Disney movie this Marvel movie and, you know, Triple H and Stephanie laughed in his face. He's like, do you think that movie's going to actually do well? Like there is just this level of a bubble outside of the rest of the universe, not WWE universe, like the literal universe. Like they're, mm-hmm. I feel like they're not even on the right planet sometimes when it comes to some of this. And to me, like 
I'm not a you know, I'm not this raconteur or some big businessman, but if I see Marvel movies and I know every time they come out, the average like three, 400 million at that time, you know, we, before Avengers kind of blew things out of the water with billion dollars, like if it's good enough, it's going to get there. Guardians might've been an experiment, but it's still going to be, Disney's going to put their arm behind it. Disney's going to shove it down people's throats. They're going to have great uh, press junkets. Why wouldn't you want right. your WWE champion to be there to kind of talk about things. And then now we fast forward, you see the exact same thing now, Hobbs and Shaw, number one movie in America again. They did the bare minimum because they're scared to death that Roman Reigns might get the acting bug. And mm -hmm. so all of those things, like when you have a Ferrara and a Russo that could take credit, when you have a Rock that can take credit for being a good writer, when you have an Austin that can take credit for being, like they don't want those guys anymore. They want good soldiers and they want people that are subservient. And that leads to weird situations where no one's really going to want to challenge because there's nowhere else to go, or at least there wasn't until places like AEW, till New Japan kind of found itself because they were in a little bit, of, you know, early 2000s, they were kind of like falling off a cliff too. So I, I think it's, I, I, that was a very long answer to a very easy question. So I apologize, <laughs> but I think those are the, oh, good, the big you're factors. Good. No, I mean you're right, absolutely. I, 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 and 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 plus, oh by the way, you bring up Hobbs and Shaw. No, no coincidence in that Roman Reigns just inked a new contract with the WWE. You know, a couple of weeks right. after Hobbs and Shaw makes you know millions of dollars in box office. No, no coincidence at all. Nothing. No, not no, at all. It's like, hey, I'm here for fun. Another five years. I'm right, 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 right. They it's had like, it planned okay, a long great, time man. ago. They had it planned a long time ago. You know, they would have signed it in July. You know, but. Just right. No coincidence. It's like, that's great. I mean, hey, and I was like, whatever you got to tell yourself to go to sleep at night, that's fine. Right. I have eyes and ears too. Like that. And that's how I did with a lot of stuff. Like when, you know, Triple H is like, oh, there's no, you know, you talk about counter programming. There, we, we planned this random NXT UK the same day as All Out and the same day as Royal Quest in England. Right. We planned right. this. It's not, I don't know what you're talking about that we randomly just rented this hall for a show that we right, right. had TV to lead to. Like, okay. And it's like, it's, it's really funny when they do it because it's like, it's like if the NFL was hell bent on stopping this one, like, Conference USA team from getting on television. Like, right. come on, man. Like, right, right. what the heck? Right. And, and and I think that's what drives me the most insane because I'm the type of person like I'm I like to consider myself a real person. Like I'm just someone like and yeah. I expect realness from everybody. Like if yeah. if, if if you're trying to be a, a dick, be a dick. Like just be a dick. Come out and right. say I'm a dick. Don't don't be a dick and try to character. Oh, I'm not really being a dick. I'm just being someone that is subtly doing things that, you know, opposes other people and treats people like, oh, but that's not a dick. Like, no, stop. You're being a dick. Just admit that you're being a dick. Like like and, and you know you're being one so just admit it like and that's why that's the type of person like that's my personality so like when i see people that like i know you're doing this everybody knows that you're doing this and you're still lying and acting like you're not doing this or you're oh it's just convenient it's convenient scheduling it's convenient book like stop like stop like that that's where like yeah. you, people feel insulted when you question their intelligence like stop yeah or when you know one of the big questions with like AEW and uh you know, Daniel Palmer, D Palm, and in movie trailer reviews, uh, he has his uh unanimous decision, UD Pod. Um he he people had emailed and asked questions and uh, about the idea of like AEW, why aren't there more wrestlers of color? And I didn't get a chance because we were at Disney to kind of do it, but 
uh, one of the things that stands out to me when you look at WWE, to your point right now with the like either be a dick or not, just own it. Like they've spent the last two and a half years signing almost every independent wrestler in the world. And so when you look around the landscape, they have so many of the most talented wrestlers of color in NXT that haven't even been on TV yet. Mm-hmm. And so by the time AEW comes around to hire people, there's like, you've got like tumbleweeds. And that's not to say there's still some great independent wrestlers of color out there. Darius Locke is yeah. one of the first people I, I throw out there. But when you, I would say like, if you had your druthers, I would love to put a Keith Lee as like the top of my list as someone I'm going to push. I'd love to have an ACH as someone who's going to identify to the otakus out there, but not be a weirdo about it. Like I'm going to want to grab someone like a punishment Martinez because I think he's a big dude that can do everything Baron Corbin does, but better, more athletic, and not be, you know, someone that has negative heat at times. But they're all like toiling in NXT right now. They're just there. And it's wild to me that these guys are there. And so when you have someone like that, then you're like, I don't know what you mean. We have 300 people in developmental. I don't, what, what is your, what's your, what do you, what do you mean? We, we, you know, the independent scene, you know, we just signed the evolved champion. Oh, hey, I mean, no big deal. It's fine. You know, we don't use managers, but heck, I'm going to be happy all day that they gave my man a big old contract because I want to see more of Mr. Bivens, or I believe that's his new name now, Um, Stokely Hathaway. But back when Stokely was on the independence, he knows like Stokely is a very entertaining heel. He's a great manager. And if WWE ever got their head out of their rear end, he should be a guy that makes a dude that can't talk look like a million bucks because you're going to want to see him get his butt kicked. All right. All right. No, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's, it's hilarious, uh, these things. And, and, I, and the, the thing about color, like, I, I think AEW is still at the point now where, you know, I feel like everybody's lost sight of the fact that there's still a new company. Like, there's still a company that's still trying to find themselves in a lot of ways. You know, so I feel with them, I think they're in a, still in a position where they just got to hire the best wrestlers that they can hire the best guys in the business that they can hire at this point. Like if you want to hold WWE to that litmus test of why don't you have more color wrestlers of color? I think WWE is a, it's a global brand and they should have yeah. more wrestlers of color. But I feel like AEW is still in a position where they're still jumping into this game. You know, I know that they're, they've jumped out hot and, and we'll get to them you know shortly, but you know, I think they're still in a situation where they've got to sign the best guys they, they can sign. You know what I mean? So, right. um, but Back to WWE. So like as as every podcast tends to do, right? You know, we all we're all singing, you know, we're all bashing WWE, not bashing WWE. We're just providing constructive criticism of the issues that I think everybody, even the biggest WWE sycophant can admit, like the lack of storytelling, you know, of cohesive storytelling, you know, of, of character building. I mean, these are all things that everybody knows. So this isn't a secret. We're not reinventing the wheel here. Um, if Vince McMahon called you today, and I know this is unlikely, but if he calls you and said, Rich, book my product for me, you know, make WWE great again, you know, Donald Trump, don't don't take that mantra, by, by the way, please, if you're listening to this, but <laughs> make WWE great again, you know, what's the first thing that you do? How do you fix this? Like all the issues, we've, we've, we've done a good job of, you know, displaying and, and, and litigating all the issues that are out there. How do you fix this product? I think, and and that's where it's like a long-term thing. You just have to be committed that we're going to have these stories. Here's what I want. Here's how it's playing out. Here's how it ends. And carry that through for months. 
And that's not going to reflect in ratings over those months. You're still going to have to deal with the slings and arrows of 20 years of you establishing we don't necessarily want to care about a coherent story. But I think by being consistent, you create that trust again. You want to rebuild that trust. I think once you do that, then you're going to get the viewers up. Then you're going to get stories that people care about and are excited about in the arena. And then I would also set wrestling up to be a something that forces you to go see it live again. Because yes. right now, Wade's biggest point is a lot of what we see on Raw or SmackDown, we don't necessarily see that in NXT, which is remarkable. But again, that makes sense given the bookers change. Um, in terms of Raw and SmackDown, it's built for an audience that's watching at home. The people, Wade always equates it to the people in the audience are basically props. And they're just there. And that's not how you need wrestling to be. I mean, we see things now where the television, you go to commercial, what, you know, you just had Paul Heyman fight tooth and nail to get the ability to wrestle through commercials again. It needs that opportunity where you can see it. You need to see it live and you're forced to see it live. Right. And then also you have storyline. Like when you're in the Attitude Era, I lived in the Poconos at the time once we moved from New York City. And, you know, I would try to get to Philly. I would try to get to Beth, uh, was it Bethlehem. I'd try to get to Scranton Wilkes Bar because those are the places WWE would go, not necessarily for Monday Night Raw, but for the live events. And I'd want to see it because it's like, well, I know I can't get to, you know, Albuquerque or State College, but I can get to this spot. Right. And so right now that's not there. I mean, you look at the numbers and the amount of money they're losing in house show revenue, it's because people don't see themselves as enjoying a house show anymore. They see it as like, well, why would I go there? Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you feel like the house show system is antiquated, though? Like, because I've had this discussion with some of my friends. Like, do you feel like house shows were, were a thing of the past? And I feel like WWE has to kind of get because I can see arguments for people that say it should be. And, and like you saying that they should still be a part of the system. Yeah, for me, I think. It is antiquated, but I think antiquated isn't always a bad thing. I think the old school part of it is it gives wrestlers an opportunity that don't have those skill sets to develop them in a nice Petri dish and have people live, at, you know, have an instant reaction to things you're working on that might not make it to TV yet. And then also, I think it gives that person that kind of like one of the best things that have gone in the favor. And I, I think WWE mastered this and then AEW kind of like copied it is. The, the the level of detail that the customer service gives you when you meet someone that makes you want to root for them. I think mm -hmm. when you had a guy like Steve Austin, this bad dude who was going through and just kicking dudes, stunning them and all that, he, when you would meet him, you still had this aura of, holy crap, I just met Steve Austin. Right. And the Young Bucks do it. And it's not, you know, they're not going to be a guy you get intimidated by with Steve Austin, but they are going to teach treat you like a you're you're the customer so you're very important to them i think wwe needs those house shows to do that so that way kids can go and see adults can go and have fun with the family or in the case of the person like me who's the schmuck who's just going to watch wrestling because wrestling i can go and watch wrestlers have fun in an environment i've always heard and read and listened about where they can be their best version of themselves without the worry of okay we got to hit a tv queue we got to do this we got to do this. right we can just go out there and have a good match like i don't know if you got a chance if you all get a chance go on to the hidden gems which they finally just added to the updated version of the network there's a okay. house show match between Shawn michaels and and uh, uh steve austin from before uh 
Michael's got his back injury, they go to San Antonio and wrestle for like 32 minutes. And it's just them having fun. Like yeah. it's those guys chain wrestling and just doing things they'd never have done at that time on TV. But they did it on that house show match, which was recorded just because at the time they recorded everything. And it was like, whoa. And they need more of that. So that way when people are like, yeah, you got to go, man, because this guy's awesome. This guy's awesome. I know he isn't on TV yet, but this dude's good. And I think they get that with NXT. But I think the more you can do that with main roster, the better it would be for everyone. And making house shows a destination. Like I I liked Mm -hmm. it in the past when they did title changes in house shows, when they did major storyline things that out. Like I I feel like they should do more of that, not just save everything for television. Like, I feel like if you make something like, Oh shit, like this happened at a house show. Like, okay, maybe I'm going to go start going to house shows. Like, I I feel like doing more of that, um, I think would, would increase revenue for house shows. Cause I feel like, I mean, I just recently went to a house show and it just literally was raw, a lesser version of raw without the commercial breaks. I mean, it, it, it just, it just was that. And you know, I was just like, why do I want, I mean, I took my son and he loved it. Of course, he's still at that age where, you know, he just loves everything. Um, and, and, and I'm like, if I'm a kid of, if I'm a, you know, if I'm a 13 year old kid, if I'm even a 17 year old kid, like, why would I want to go to this? I mean, it's, it's just, it's a lesser, it's a lesser raw essentially, or a lesser SmackDown without the commercial breaks. It's, there's no incentive to go to a house show. It just really isn't. Um, and I feel like that's a problem. And, and and you were talking about the commercial breaks. And one of the things that just grinds my gears every single time when I went to a Raw, seeing wrestlers as they go inside, you know, they make the entrance and they're sitting in the ring and then they'll go to a commercial break. And then there's playing videos in the arena and the wrestler's just sitting there like an idiot <laughs> in the rain waiting for the cue to come back. And then, of course, when the commercial, you know, when, when, when they're off commercial and they're back to live TV, you know, they're, the, the guy's back in the ring and the music's playing. Like things like that, little things like that just just grimy the the just the just the fakeness of it all you know what i mean yeah and again you turn him into a prop and even the wrestler now like steve austin never in a million years would have come out to his music and then just stood there yes exactly just stood there as they're airing a you know a breast cancer awareness commercial like no no it just it just uh, it's just yeah i know it just it just bothers me so much when they do that but um <laughs> Yeah, man, I, I, I'm with you on how to fix WWE. I, I just, I think they just need an overhaul, man, and just in the presentation. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like it. Like, if you watch Raw now and you watch Raw ten years ago, it looks the same. It feels the same. Yeah. You know, it just, it's just nothing has changed. It's just like they've gotten stuck in how they've done things since 2000, and it's like it's the same thing. It's the same presentation. Uh, you know, God forbid they change the style. I mean, it's just, it's everything right. is still the same. And I feel like they need to change it up a little bit. They need to change it up. They need to change the, you know, remember when they had like that, that raw, like I remember like when they first started the brand, the, the new brand extension, you know, that raw, you know, they had, they had different camera angles and how they shot things. They tried it out for like a couple weeks and everybody was raving like, oh my God, they brought back squash matches. You know, they shot things from different angles. And then again, they went away, you know, after about two or three weeks when everybody praised it you know vince got a bug in his ass again and then they just changed everything again and and it's it's just there's just been no change and and i remember those raws being like wow this is refreshing 
Like they're actually doing things differently. They're not giving away big matches on Raw just to give them away. You know, what I mean, they're they're bringing back squash matches. You know, so so these are things I, I definitely get rid of three hours of Raw. It's just too much. It's it's too much. I don't think we're saying anything new. I think everybody universally agrees three hours of Raw is just too much. I agree, and I, I mean, yeah, like you said, that's singing to the choir. I mean, I went to a Raw in Seattle. Now, mind you, it, granted, it's Seattle, so it's not like we're going to Raw at 7 o'clock at night and leaving there at 11 o'clock at night. So, you know, we got there, you know, for the start of the show, 5 o'clock local time, and we left out of there at like eight thirty, nine o'clock, and we were just exhausted, like exhausted. Like you should not feel just mentally drained in a bad way leaving a Monday Night Raw. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's just it's it's yeah. Oh God, um, let, let's move on to 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 NXT before we get to AEW. Let's move on to NXT because you know I'm and I get criticized by my friends all the time because I haven't I haven't I haven't fallen into the NXT spell. And what I mean by that is that I like NXT. I enjoy it. It's a great product. It's a great show. But something about it takes me out of it. And what it takes me out of it is just this feeling of what does this all mean in the grand scheme of things? You know, Velveteen, he's great. I think we all can agree he's a star. I think if Vince pushes him the right way, he's got money written all over him. But part of me doesn't can't get emotionally invested because I know that as soon as that guy goes up to the main roster, Vince is going to screw him up. Just like Riddle, just like anybody else. I mean, look at all the guys from NXT that Vince has just completely botched. And that just takes me out of it emotionally from NXT. Like, it just does. How do you feel? I, I, am I wrong for feeling this way? Like, and, and some of my friends like, no, NXT is great. It's the, it's the best thing about WWE. And I agree. But I just, I, I just have this feeling like, what does it all mean in the grand scheme of things? Yeah, it, it's a tough thing because for me, I love the stories that they do in NXT. And I love the wrestlers there. But like you said, once you get to the main roster, it's like, what, have, what, what did that mean? It meant nothing, next to nothing. And, you know, that that's kind of disheartening because as I see a Samoa Joe, as much as he's languished on the main roster and, you know, he's done some good things for himself, but I really feel like he should have been more than he is. Absolutely. He should have been the same Joe that inspired fear in NXT. Absolutely. Or Shinsuke, same thing. Or Finn Balor, same thing. Oh, or, God. you know, yeah. God help whenever they move up Johnny Gargano, like you have to have a certain size or you're never going to get respect. Mm -hmm. Look at how they, look at how they completely butchered. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Mm -hmm. No, No, I'm just saying, look at how they completely butchered Bailey. I mean, Bailey was money. Like Bailey was just, I mean, you, I'm, I'm sure you remember it. That, that, that match with Sasha Banks at takeover, Mm -hmm. you know, Brooklyn a few years ago. I mean, that was just, that was phenomenal. That was phenomenal. I mean, you, if you would have told me, you know, three, four years from then that Bailey would just be this middling character on the roster where they didn't know what to do with her, I would have told you you're lying. I would have told you you're lying. I would have told you you're full of it. No way. Like, this is a character that writes herself. It, it's just money written all over this character. And they completely butchered it. It completely – she was the most over-female wrestler uh, – and maybe in the history of that company, I know Becky's, Becky will have some challenge to that claim, but she was over like hell, and they've just completely have botched that. And I think that after what I was, after seeing what they did to Bailey, I think that's what really took me out of NXT. I agree, and I think 
finding that balance because it doesn't always have to be just, hey, look at us, look how awesome we do, pick 20, 28 flips. And an engrossing story, but also something Vince is going to like. It's like you're juggling so many balls in the air, and it's a wonder you don't drop more than they do. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, I, I'm, I'm glad you can see where I'm coming because my friends just think I'm crazy. You know? And I'm just like, I, I love it, but it's just like, what, what does it all mean at the end? You know, and it's like Gargano has a great match, you know, but it's like, I just know that he gets up to the main roster and he's, he's going to be, you know, Dolph Ziggler 2.0. Yeah, it's just it, I just I could see it. He's just gonna, you know, look at Sami Zayn. Sami, look at what Sami Zayn was in NXT, and then look at what they've done to him now. It, it's just they they just they have a way of just destroying good things. You know, look at what they've done with Finn Balor, like you said. I mean, I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. So, what about AEW? Um, transition over to AEW. Um, how do you? It, are are they where you expected them to be at this point right now? Or have you been surprised at the level of success that they've attained so far? Um, talk to me about AEW and their rise. Um, and how do you see this playing out over the long term? I know that they've got their TV deal starting up in, in October on TNT, uh, you know, a, a restart of the Monday night war just on different days. Um, you know, talk to me about AEW, their rise and where they're at right now. Are you are you shocked? Are you surprised? Or are you kind of you, you kind of had this feeling that they were going to be where they were going to be, you know, at this moment? I had a feeling they were going to kind of like be competitive. And that was mainly just from the fact that they have NFL owners as their backers. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have right like right now, it stands, they're going to have better ratings in the United Kingdom than WWE because they're in more homes and they have access to Sky and all that, and WWE won't. They're going to be using uh, whatever that next tier down. And so when you get to the United States, obviously that's not going to be the same thing. But right. you have this uh, saturation and you have these market knowledge as far as getting contracts and you have this ability to sell a product that people are clamoring for. And WWE, like for better or worse, no one really wants to join them. Uh, in terms of like you have all these guys who say they want to do it but then they're qualifiers like hey I'll do it once my kids are grown or I'll do it once it's easier for me to hop on a motorcycle and I think the more they do stuff like this the more you directly see that there's another way outside of the main roster stuff the more you risk looking dumb when people are like I need more of this and less of that right Right. Uh, well, what do you, um, if you were advising AEW, and and so far I, I agree with you, they've they've hit it out of the ballpark. I, I think I think they've they've shocked me. I didn't I didn't ex- I didn't expect this so soon anyway. Uh, but if you were advising them, what would you say? You know, how do they evolve? How do they avoid the pitfalls that I think for years plagued TNA? You know that that just you know I think the biggest issue that TNA had was that. They just kind of came off as WCW light and that they never they it just always felt like they were chasing WWE. AEW doesn't feel like that. Like AEW feels like, hey, we're just doing our thing. Yes, we're competing. We want to compete with WWE, but we know who we are. We're comfortable in that's in, in our skin and we're just going to put the best product out that we know we can put out there. 
And TNA kind of fell into the pitfalls of, hey, we're, we're, we're going to directly challenge WWE, even though they just had no chance. And they, they booked themselves like they were trying to be WWE. They signed every WWE retread, good or bad. Like, how do you, if you're advising AEW, how do you avoid them from falling into the same pitfalls that, you know, TNAs and countless others have fallen since 2001? Well, I think the big thing is not overextending yourself. If you're going to sign people, sign them the, these in contracts don't be like, hey, here's $20 million, come here for two years. And I think the other thing is making sure you're very um, judicious with the number of signings. Like right now, I think the next big one will probably be a Marty Skrull. Until then, mm-hmm. save your money and then kind of go from there. Because you don't want to be in a position where you're in a betting war against yourself. Right. Right. And I like the fact that they've they've been open to doing business with other promotions too. Obviously with Moxley having the you know the 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 ability to compete in New Japan and 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 doing those things. I think keeping that that op, keeping letting guys letting guys have that option, I think that's also a goodwill thing. I think that's also something that's plagued WWE for years is that exclusivity. You know, it's like, oh, you gotta work for us and that's it. You know, nobody else. You can't work outside the tent. Um I think that definitely bodes well for them. Hopefully, they hopefully they keep the same business strategy, man. I, I, I'm I'm excited about AEW. I think, and I think the fans have to kind of, you know, I think the I think the fans have to measure the expectations a little bit. I think because I think fans are seeing the success and they're saying, "Yep, they're going to challenge WWE. You'll see it in in you know six months. You know, you know they they start up in October by you know by Christmas they'll have six million viewers like." Rain it back a little bit. Rain it back a little bit. This takes right. time, obviously, but uh, but yeah, AW's got it going right now, man. I'm I'm excited that you know, for the first time in a long time, we have I wouldn't say competition, but a chance to have a competition. I'll put it that way. I agree. Talk about I think. Oh, oh go, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I, there was a long gap there, so I, I thought you just had, had anything, anything to say about that. Oh no, I you were preaching to the choir, so I. I was just gonna let you cook. <laughs> no, it's all good. No, it's all good. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I really, really hope that AEW does this right, man, because I think definitely we need it. We, we definitely need something, something that lights a fire under Vince and, and WWE, and just, if anything, just makes them sweat a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because that'll lead to more creativity. That'll force them into that Russo Ferrara thing you mentioned before. We got to trust voices outside the room. Just so right. many things that are going to kind of push those buttons that we all want to see pushed. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, let's transition over to SummerSlam, man. Um, did you like SummerSlam? I, I haven't had a chance to listen to if you talked about it on the torch this week. Um, did you like SummerSlam? Uh, I, I I kind of felt like it was a mediocre show. I felt like the last two matches, uh, the Fiends debut and then the Brock and Seth um, matches kind of saved the show. Otherwise, I kind of found it kind of boring I, I didn't really like a lot of that show for a large majority of it until the last two matches how, how did you feel about SummerSlam overall oh I actually was in the same boat I, I thought the fiend was like magnificent like that debut yes the, the, the horror style like when he did like the I, I've been joking like I saw, saw on Twitter and I had the jacket like the you know looking cute might delete like <laughs> turn around like the light thing but that was great the the, the neck break he did with uh, Finn Balor was insane and just the whole treatment of him. He was just perfect. And then, like you said, the main event, Brock and uh, Seth, really good. Um, 
every other match other than that, I was kind of like, eh, I was, I was okay with it. Like you said, mediocre. Um, I was not a fan of just, at least they shortened the show. That was the thing for me. I was like, that yes, was that was a plus. Yes, we didn't have like this eight-hour slog, and so that was that was definitely much appreciated. Absolutely, and isn't it sad that we like one of the one of the major talking points out of SummerSlam, outside of obviously the Fiend and, and the Brock Lesnar Seth match, was how short the show was by comparison to other. WWE pay-per-views. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a microcosm of all of many of the issues that are going on with WWE. But uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm with you, man. I, I just kind of felt like it just was a mess show. Like I, I just really up to that point. I mean, up to before you know, right up to before the Fiend debut, I was just like, man, this show is just it's just not it tonight. Like I don't know what it is. I mean, even the matches that I thought were going to be good, you know, Ricochet and and AJ just just kind of never got into that second gear. Um, the 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 natty um, Becky match it was okay it was fine but it was just never it just never got that say like that's that's the that's the sentiment for me like the matches got off to a good first gear but they just never got to that next step for me yeah um, yeah so I just I mean the Goldberg Ziggler thing I, yeah, it was what it was I, I yeah. why are we still seeing Goldberg in 2019 I I, I don't know but yeah I, I just yeah I was I was uh, yeah, very underwhelmed by SummerSlam. So uh, let's talk about the good things about SummerSlam. Obviously, the two good things. Let's, let's start with The Fiend. I mean, you brought it up. What a what a debut. I mean, just uh, phenomenal. I mean, what else can you say about it? It was, you know, I'm, I've always been a huge Bray Wyatt fan. I, I still think the old character still could have worked well, if written well, if treated well. Um, I, I still think the WWE blew tons of money and not pushing the Wyatt family right um, from the start. Um, but this character, I mean, if they treat it right, they've got something here with The Fiend. I mean, they really, really do. Um, I know you I know you talked about it, but do you want anything else you have to say about, about The Fiend? Yeah, I mean, from all indications, you know, uh, with us at the Torch, the Observer, they see him as like another Undertaker where he's special attractions, only shows up, doesn't show up every week. And I like that because I think... Yes even down to like the horror of seeing his old like persona, like the screaming mouth holding the lantern now. And it, it definitely is something that they can make a lot of money with. Like they sold out the next day when they had like the fiend packs on WWE shop. They only made a hundred of them, I think. And it was, yeah, but I was, I was there, I was there trying to get one and yeah, they're gone. And so I I applaud them because they found something and they stuck with it and it's going to look good. It's just now being consistent, like we were saying with the storylines. Don't wait and forget two months from now, like, oh, yeah, The Fiend's awesome. Let's not have him, like, lose this random match on SmackDown because we want to pop a rating on Fox. Like, mm-hmm. The Fiend should be – just make him a monster. Like you never Or have The Fiend doing for. comedy. Have the fiend doing comedy, right. you know, with with New Day eating pancakes. Like, don't don't do any of these things, please. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, I completely with you. Completely with you. Um, and the Brock Seth match. You know that that match surprised me because I'll be honest with you. I'm I am in the minority on Seth. I feel like everybody loves Seth. Everybody in my in my group in my friendship group here <laughs> that follows wrestling loves Seth and think I'm crazy about Seth. Um, you know, it's crazy about my views on Seth. I want to say like, and people have asked me and they knew I was going to get into this topic with you on the show. Um, 
I don't dislike Seth. I like Seth a lot, but there's just something missing for me with Seth. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's it's him. It's how he's been presented, how he's been booked. But I just I, – I don't know what it is with Seth. It's just in the ring, I like him. And then on mm-hmm. his, you know, as soon as he grabs a microphone, it's just – He's just ambient to me. He's just like mm-hmm. I, he just puts me to sleep. There's nothing compelling about him. I, I don't. I, I don't understand what is he as a character. Like who he is. Like I feel like he's not well fleshed out yet. And yeah, I wasn't excited about this match um, coming in, um, but they delivered. They had a really good match. But uh, do you think I'm crazy with Seth? No, I mean I, I can see it, I and mean, I think with Seth, it's one of those things where. He is a guy where he's very polarizing now, especially with the comments he was doing on Twitter, where he was trying to be like a good company man after having like a so-so wrestling show. And now, mm-hmm. you know, he had a really great match against Brock. He kind of has the big boy pants on. And I think as long as he keeps this up, he'll be fine. But again, he's got to be careful because you don't want to be the person that's seen as like the lame dude that's like standing for a company that just isn't bringing it. So. He, 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 I can see how he, the mileage varies on how one supports Seth. And I got to be honest, like that, that whole exchange with him and, and, uh, and, uh, God, I'm, I'm blanking Will out Ospreay. here. Will Ospreay. Um, that whole exchange rubbed me the wrong way, man. I mean, like if, if it's Cena doing that, look, I don't like it either way, but Cena has some cred to say that. Seth, yeah. you're not in the position where you can be calling someone little guy and, you know, what right. we do over here. Like, you're just you're not at that level, bro. Like, like, stop. Like, it just I, I don't know. I, I think I think they were trying to do something with that. I think they were trying to make him cool. And I think that backfired. And I think that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. I, I really, really do. And it rubbed me the wrong way. And I'm not usually one of those guys that gets pressed about, you know, Twitter beefs and stuff like that. But I, I it just yeah. there was something about it that just came off kind of lame. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and I, and I think you ran into the same thing. Like, it just happened a couple of weeks ago with Ring of Honor yeah. with Matt Taven. Mm-hmm. And a lot of folks are getting in their feelings. But it's like, no, if you don't have a product that's good, you can't say, I deserve to watch it or you deserve my eyeballs. Like, that's not how this works. That's not how any show works. Like, if I'm watching – same thing happened with Game of Thrones. For the people that complained about it, it doesn't help if an actor is like, well, you guys suck because you don't like what we <laughs> yeah. do it's like that's not how this works right exactly take the criticism and try to address it and be honest and be upfront. and it's like it's not like you don't know that the issues that the fans and people are talking about aren't there like i i find it hard to believe that seth doesn't see all of the flaws in the wwe product like i i i'm oh I, I am not that stupid he does and i get it that you have to be the company you're the champion you have to tell that company line to a certain extent but just the na- like the the nastiness and the bully type vibe that I got from that was just yeah it was just very off putting like and like you said you're right you know like don't don't crap on the fans that are just that that actually care because we you know because they're, they're the they're the paying customers they're the ones that are hardcore they're the ones that are that are that are living with this each and every day and the frustration of watching this product and and, and it's not like we're just hating on it to hate on it no we're saying it could be so much better you have talent. Right. You have these things going for you. It could be so much better, but these are the issues that you need to fix. And instead of Seth saying, yeah, you know what, guys, I feel you, you know, I feel you, but Hey, hang in there. You know, we, we, we've got some good stuff. You know, let me, let me talk to the old man and see if we can, you know, we, we hear you. No, no. Uh, we've got a big guy. We, you know, we got a guy over here that does the same thing, little guy, or, you know, Oh, you guys are idiots. Like, 
what was that supposed to do? What was that supposed to accomplish? Yeah. Yeah, what's the end game there? Like, I don't see it. Yeah, no, I, yeah. But um, back to that match with, with Brock. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't into it when it was announced. And then the, the, the terrible build to it in the lead up. I mean, Seth looking like a complete idiot the, the Monday, the go home show before SummerSlam. Um, but they delivered. They put on a good match. Um, were you surprised at the outcome? Were you surprised that they gave the title to Seth? Yeah, I was. I mean, after the way they treated him with Brock, like the last, I don't know, three weeks, four weeks, I figured it was going to be a fait accompli, that it was going to be something like what happened with Cena, where he just gets the crap beat out of him, beaten, Mm -hmm. and we move on. But yeah, I liked it. It was a nice surprise. He kind of gutted it out. He turned it from what was a one-way, like, homeboy was getting the the, the points run up on him, and he kind of pushed back. Now, my hope is, uh, you know, my assumption is that with this, Brock, you know, they, they just announced he won't be able to on Monday get a rematch right. uh, against Seth. So my assumption is he's going to set his sights on Kofi, unfortunately, which will lead to its own set of issues. Oh, I'm glad that you brought up Brock. Uh, and, I, and I'm going to get to Seth. I'm going to go back to Seth in a second. But with Brock, like, what else is left to do with Brock? Because I still think there's value in Brock. I still think there's an aura about Brock that he's a star. That he just has a star magnitude to him every time he comes out, whether you love him, you hate him, you react to him. He's still when he's engaged and when he's in, 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 in the ring with a guy that can bring out the best of him. Brock is still great. I really believe that. But what is the next chapter in Brock Lesnar's story right now? Because I feel like they've kind of beaten this this down to nothing now like this whole he wrestles when he wants to and he's not a company guy blah 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 like they've they've already run this into the ground they've that's jumped the shark what is the what is the next chapter with Brock Lesnar I think it's going to be more of the same because that's how Vince sees him I think Vince still sees him as a nuke and he is I mean he's you look at him and he's an impossibly crazy looking human being in terms of how he's put together I think the next step for him would be just make him a champion, a regular champ. If he's going to be a champ, make him one that shows up and not know, you know, he's a part-timer or stuff. I mean, in that you, you know, when you're going to get him, you know, when he's going to show up, he's kind of a force in nature, but you respect it. And you know that like, okay, when Brock shows up, he's going to be X. Like when he showed up before and he was just suplexing dudes left and right. Or when he was shooting with the Undertaker Racina where, you know, it takes the entire roster to keep him apart. And he's like, I'm going to kill you and all this stuff. Um, now it's like folks turn on him because it's the cool thing to do. And, and it's the cool thing to do because the company told you to do it. Right. And that was, to me, the most dangerous thing when they were playing that game of, well, Brock, he doesn't want to show up. And it's like, ah, you're paying him to not show up. Like, it's not like this guy is no showing on you. It's you're making a storyline of right. Brock decided he didn't want to come out. Right, here. right, right, right. It's it, it's so bad. It's such a self fulfilling prophecy. It's it just like right. it's it, it's like what is even I, I still that build with Roman Reigns last year and the whole thing with Roman and Brock. I it just it still boggles my mind. But yeah, no, I I'm with you with Brock, man. I I'm I'm kind of over the champion that doesn't show up. You know gig with him like to me i think you need to transition to something different kind of make him like the fiend a guy that shows up i, I think it's time for a face turn with him um make mm-hmm. him kind of you know he can still be asshole brock but make him our asshole 
You know, he's the guy that right. beats up the shitty heel that we don't like, or he's the guy that, you know, you save him for a special feud. Uh, now, I know this requires some kind of discipline, but building up your other heel stables, other heel uh, individuals and pushing them and making them feel important and not making just a whole stable of chicken shit heels, but making actual serious, credible heels that, you know, man, you know, have you seen what they've been doing with Samoa Joe? Man, Brock and Samoa at WrestleMania and Samoa Joe at WrestleMania, that'll be special. Like doing that, I think yeah. that's the next step for Brock. Like I'm, I'm over him having the championship, like especially if he's going to keep the same schedule where obviously he is. Like he doesn't need to be carrying the belt. The belt needs to be on every show every day. Um, every week, like I'm over the 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 Brock being the champion that doesn't show up. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah, yeah. And back to Seth. Um, where does he go from here? Um, I, I think that they have a they have a WWE has an interesting opportunity here to kind of redo a lot of the things that they did with Seth. Um, they got some goodwill from that match. I think they need to do they need to be smart this time around. Um, be careful on how they book him. What's the ideal scenario for Seth right now? I think just make him a strong champ, like make him be the people's champ, defend against, you know, hell and high water against everyone that they can throw at him and just let that cook. I mean, trying to be too cute, you know, is going to get him in trouble. And so just play paint by the numbers, traditional babyface champ, and I think they'll be fine. I also one of the other things with Seth is I, I also think pairing him with with Becky on TV I think it hurt Seth I really do I, I think putting those two together and Becky's just naturally cool and then having Seth by her side I think they felt like some of that coolness that Becky has was going to rub off on Seth and it had the opposite effect I, I really yeah. believe that like I feel like he just came off as dweeby like. Ugh, like get off my TV, like but yeah. So like I think man let's, let's and, yeah. the man's man, all that crap. Like just just don't do that. Like I, okay, you want to acknowledge that they're together, great. You want to you want to like have them walk by each other in the hallway and give each other glimpses and looks. Okay, great. But like the whole boyfriend angle, man's man thing. Like let's be done with that. Um, and again, I said like I, I want to like Seth. I really really want to like Seth. Like between the squared circles, I have no problem with Seth. It's outside the squared circle. You know, on Twitter, you know, when he grabs the mic, I just uh, just something about him. Just, you know, like he, I don't want to say he's starting to get go away heat for me, but, he, you know, it's pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, man, I think we've covered a lot um, before you go, man. Um, who do you think is one of the most underutilized guys in WWE now. Like if I had, to, if if you, if you, I asked you to give me three names right now that are on the main roster, let's not talk about NXT, but on the main roster, just underutilized guys that could do so much more. They're just, they're just not doing enough with who is those guys. Give me three names. Uh, let's see. Gosh, I would say, well, two of them had matches in this week. So I'll, it's kind of like, it's going to be like a little bit of a undercut, but buddy Murphy is the first. Because I think he is just, he had been the best kept secret of 205 Live, and that was his first match on SmackDown against Roman, and that was probably one of Roman's best matches in his career on yeah, television. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I Cedric, so Cedric Alexander, who's been great in every promotion he's ever been in, and I think since his weight loss and kind of getting himself right for the 205 Live tournament, uh, he's been awesome. He's another person they they're starting to do stuff with especially that feud with McIntyre. And I think he's awesome. 
Um, and really the third person I would say is McIntyre. I feel like McIntyre has been there on the main roster for almost a year and a half, almost two years. But the biggest thing we remember is he's like Shane's flunky instead of being this guy who was a dominant, like chosen one by Vince McMahon that left, came back and looks like a psychopath and just needs that opportunity to be on his own, which I'm hoping that King of the Ring does a good job for him with as far as giving him a, a platform to be his own man as opposed to just, you know, uh, Elias adjacent. Mm. Interesting. Um, for me, I know it sounds weird because this guy had a major match at SummerSlam, but to me, Kevin Owens is still one of the most misused guys on the roster. I mean, I, I'm glad that they're finally starting to figure it out with him. But for the longest time, I was just Kevin Owens. He's a star. He just has it. He has it. He has that it. Whatever that is, that it is. You know how we talk about in sports, that guy has that it, that it factor, yeah. that 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 charisma, that 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 clutch, you know, that that intangible that you yeah. can't put a measurement by. I think that's Kevin Owens. He just has that it. He's a star. Every time I see him, like my eyeballs are glued to the television set. You know, that's what I wish I had with with Seth. Like that's what I would like. Right. And and what I love about Kevin Owens is whatever crap you put it in, put him in, he still finds a way to do a good job at it. That that's the biggest testament to me that I can make about Kevin Owens. That the, the, it could be the crappiest storyline. Remember when he was basically being jobbed out to Braun week in and week out, pay per view after pay per view. He still made that feud more enjoyable than it should have been. And that's a that's a total testament to Kevin Owens. So I, to me, Kevin Owens is still I, – I, I use that with a little bit of an asterisk because it, it looks like they finally have figured out what they want to do with him. Um, uh, for me, um, if I had to give you two other names, um, Samoa Joe. I, I think they could definitely do a lot more with Samoa Joe. Um, he should be a monster heel. Like how you talked about McIntyre, I think that should be Samoa Joe. Uh, it's Samoa Joe just has it. He has that it factor as well, that charisma, you know, even, even, and even, even the crappy booking that they've given him, um, he still finds a way to make some of it passable. I don't know how, but, you know, it, it, he's still a guy to me that I think can make a lot of money for WWE and just, they just open their eyes and figure out what they have in him. Um, he's so underutilized right now. And then I think the next guy that I, that, really catches my attention that I think there's, there's something there with them. I agree with you. I think it's Cedric Alexander. I, I've been impressed with Cedric, you know, even going back to 205 Live, I, I like him a lot. I think there's, there's more in him that, than they're pushing right now. And I think they should do, definitely do something with him. So yeah, I think we're in agreement on that. What, what's, what's one guy besides Baron Corbin that just, you just don't see it. It is a guy that's getting pushed that you're just like, I'm just not there with it. It doesn't have to be three guys. Give me one or two guys. Um, I would say, huh, let's see. I would say the, see, the, the right now there isn't really one person that just, you know, even Corbin's kind of fallen back to like the regress to the mean, so to speak. I, I was going to say uh, as much as I enjoy um, the, her in NXT, the Sassy Southern Belle had kind of like outkicked her coverage in terms of push, but yeah. even her, they took her off the TV the last few weeks. I, I can't really think of anyone that like jumps out at me. Shane McMahon is just like there. That would be, yeah. the, I, that actually would be it. But Shane's like, because it's, it's, 
he's never been in this position, or at least he hasn't in some years where it's just tiring to see him in terms of like, okay, you, you put the stipulation up. You're not going to listen to the stipulation. You're back. Whatever, man. Like, just let me get to the next segment. That's Shane. That's where Shane's at for me right now. And this is the worst they've done with Shane, by, in my opinion. Like, he mm-hmm. never was this bad before. Like, I, I, I've i never, ever cared for the Shane character, but I always felt like in other parts of his run, he was always more entertaining. Like, even when he was a, he was a heel in, in prior iterations, like, you always just wanted to see him get his ass whooped, and you always had faith that he was yeah. going to get his ass whooped. But now it's just like they're booking him like he's – he's just this badass. And I'm just like, what? Like, what, what is this? Like, what, like the fact that he's winning matches against a baby face Miz, like uh, why, why, why are we doing this? Like what's yeah, no, it's, it's bad. Uh, they, they, this is going to surprise you. Um, a couple months ago I was with the, I was with, I, I felt like drew McIntyre. I just, eh, I, I, I'm just not there with him, you know? Um mm-hmm. I just don't know what it is. It, it, it's just, I, I, I like, no, nah, I just don't see it. It's, you know, I, you know, I, I, he's got talent, but the promos just still don't, don't, don't do it for me. The character, you know, I, I, I you know, to me, he's, I, I get a Wade Barrett vibe, you know, like it's just kind of like mm. too much of the brooding and the big words and the Scottish accent. Like it's just, too, it's just something about, I, I don't know what it is. I can't put it in the words, but I, I just was like enough with, with Drew McIntyre. Now I think he's more talented than the position he's at. Like, I think he's talented. I think he deserves to, a better spot. I I don't see him as top guy though. I don't see him as a guy that you build your 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 company around per se, or build him as the top heel. Like he, he's one of the guys in the mix, but I don't see him as that top top guy. Um, oh, I forgot to mention a guy that I think is completely being underutilized. Braun Strowman. I love Braun. Like I love Braun. I think he's talented. I think he's got more to offer than I think. With I think they're just so confused with Braun. I don't think they know what to do with him. I think they just. They 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 want to do more with him. I think they see something in him, but I don't think they know how to approach it. I don't think they know how to book Braun. Uh, I think they've blown opportunities with Braun. Um, and I think he's a guy that's so – it's criminally underutilized as well. So I want to throw him in the mix there. But um, I can see that. Yeah, but Bray but, – but, but, um, but going back to uh, – to, uh, to uh, the Scottish psychopath – uh, yeah, just I'm not there with them, man. I'm just not there with them. It's just I, I've been I've been trying to give it a shot. I've been trying to be there with them, and it's just like uh, no, no. And and I'm and I'm and then you brought the king of the ring. I'm, what I fear is that they're going to make him king of the ring, and he's going to be that annoying yeah. king that it's king everything, and it's you know it's King Drew, and uh, it's just yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's it's <laughs> I'm just glad that they just stopped pushing. Baron Corbin, like it seems like. Although I do fear that they're going to make him King Corbin. Like I do. Yeah, I can see that too. That's definitely. Uh, one. I can see where they, oh, they haven't God. pushed yeah. him, and that's a very WWE move. Not not to like get him out of the spotlight, and then all of a sudden, hey, welcome, he's back. Yeah, he's he's king, and he's going to challenge Seth again for the champion. Oh God, no! Like I let's just let's just hope they don't do that. You know. All right, man. Finally, to wrap up. Uh, uh, my friend uh, made sure I wanted to make sure I got this in G one. Um, what, what were your thoughts on the whole G one G one uh, tournament? Yeah, I thought it was good. I mean, I thought it was 
outstanding tournament. I thought the, you know, the winners were great as far as like Kota Bushi's story from being his own man and kind of going into uh, the Bullet Club evolution, the addition of Kenta to moves like Shingo, leaving uh, the junior heavyweight behind and being a heavyweight of his own. I, I thought top to bottom, it was one of the best shows they've had. And I think it was a good opportunity to kind of illustrate how uh, if we talked earlier about the idea of too many cooks in a kitchen, mm-hmm. one cook, one meal, 20 different ways, and it's delicious. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, the Kenta heel turn definitely did it for you, huh? Yeah. Very good. I mean, it, it was something that was done a very old school way. The logic behind when the tag, like the only time he had a chance to make a tag was when he decided not to tag and turned on his team. It wasn't right. something where we saw him wrestle for like, an entire match and then turn on his turn on his team, which would have been kind of like logic breaking, but right. it was just good, just really good. And and that's a, that's a, that's another example there of telling a, a perfect story and building it over a course of weeks and months and and just building it right to the point where you finally hit that crescendo and it's just there and, right. it, and it just works and it just works. So yeah, no, I I agree with you. I I really like the. The, the Kenta heel turn. I, I think that was, um, I'm not a big, I'm not as big on New Japan as I should be, but um, I, I, I did yeah. see that. And I was just like, I, I like this. This is, this is pro wrestling. This is, this is a storytelling. This is a storytelling that I can get behind. So uh, definitely, definitely. All right, man. Uh, I think we've covered everything that I, that I, I, I had written down that I wanted to cover. Um, great conversation, man. I think we covered a lot of oh, different, yeah. uh, different spots there sorry to cut you off man i get passionate about wrestling sometimes so if i cut no, you off too many happens, times, man. don't don't fault me <laughs> no no that listen that happens that's one of those things when people have a conversation and you're trying to get your point and you're just so excited but i take no offense and none none even thought of I, I i had a great time here man i thank you for having me on um and i hope uh you know, hold to be on again in the future. And oh, this is the first of many, my friend. This this is the first of many, definitely, absolutely. I will next time we get you on, we'll we'll uh, we'll talk about movies or you know, I I actually had you on, and I actually wanted to talk about your you know because you're a big sports fan, so I, I wanted to talk to you about other things, but you know, wrestling took most of the slate this time, so we'll definitely have to do it again. <laughs> uh, we'll definitely have to do this again, the part two with Rich Fan, definitely, definitely. I look forward to it. Uh, before you go, man, use this time to sell yourself, sell the deep dive, sell Torch. Uh, why should people become VIP members? All that good stuff. Sure. So with the Torch, uh, it's 30 years of wrestling experience, not necessarily on my end. Wade Keller, editor-publisher, that's what he does to pay his bills, buy his house, take care of his family. So if you go to pwtorch.com, we've got Go VIP. got all the details there. Not only do you get ad-free versions of all of our podcasts, but you also get that compendium of knowledge between him, Bruce Mitchell, uh, Sean Radikin, uh, Greg Park. Uh, and then you can even go into the Torch Talks where you can listen to some of the luminaries in pro wrestling, talk to Wade about people they think and things they think about when they're in the industry. So, you know, you can look at Paul Heyman and you see him in the early 90s when Wade asked him if there was like, if you were doing an expansion company, who would be your number one draft pick? And at that time, 1992-93, he said Steve Austin and things thought that Steve Austin would be one of the biggest stars in the company. And so that's stuff Wade gets by talking to people. And so you get a chance to do that. And then on my end, my little neck of the woods within the neighborhood that is the Torch, the deep dive on Saturdays, if you go to pwtorchdailycast.com, it has all of our listings, all of my archives. I welcome you to uh, listen to those. Uh, And if you have any questions, you can always follow me on Twitter at rich underscore fan, F-A-N-N. I'm happy to talk to you about wrestling, movies, sports, life, 
politics, whatever. All right. Well, I think we're going to get up out of here. I'd like to thank Rich for being my guest this week on the podcast. And I also like to thank you guys, the listeners for supporting and subscribing. And of course, listening to this podcast each and every week without you guys, there is no podcast. There is no show. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Um, you guys don't know how much that really means to me. So thank you. Thank you. As always, um, as always, you can follow this podcast on Twitter at AGS pod on Instagram, AGS podcast on Facebook, any given Sunday, make sure you become a member of AGS Nation. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at the Manuel Brown on Instagram at the Manuel Brown, Facebook Manuel Brown, and of course Snapchat Manny Bro fifteen. Um, we're gonna get up out of here. Let's go enjoy our Sunday afternoons. Hopefully, you guys do the same. Uh, please be safe out there, and uh, yeah, check us out next week for another episode of the podcast. So for Rich Fan, I am Manny Brown. We are out of here. Peace. <laughs>